you're listening to Champ City, LA's fan first podcast that covers your champs, the Lakers, Dodgers, and Rams. And every day we're going to bring in the most relevant and pertinent stories in LA sports. And on today's episode, well, we talk about the Lakers. We get into what happened last night against Toronto and also what they might be able to look forward to this offseason. But first, to give us a little bit of a reaction from last night's game is Jason from Lakers Tonight. Another mostly predictable Lakers disaster tonight. Again, there's a huge difference between la- like being big and playing big. Because we've talked about at length that the Lakers don't have size at any of the positions that they need it to succeed at the NBA level. It was hilarious tonight to watch the Raptors bully them physically and to have their big audible to be, here comes DJ Augustine, here comes Avery Bradley, here comes Carmelo Anthony. This is how we're going to throw the curveball to try to hang with your freakishly athletic lineups. But that's the reality of their predicament. But it goes deeper than that because, you know, the Lakers are obviously not able of, they're not capable of hanging with the Raptors physically. That goes without saying. However, they're capable of hanging with them more than they did in the early phases of that game. Which brings me to an ancient basketball idea that is debated at all levels. It's the concept of being big versus playing big. Because there's a way to play bigger than your size. And it has a lot to do with your physicality. We've all seen this. If you've been involved with sports at any level, even if it's baseball, if it's football, if it's basketball, you've all seen that freakishly large athlete that looks like a grown man amongst boys that doesn't make any sense. But for whatever reason, he's just not as good as he's supposed to be. Maybe he's passive. Maybe he doesn't like the physicality. I played high school football and basketball. I saw a little bit of both. I saw it in the college level as well. You'd see guys that have great physical tools. But for whatever reason, there's just something missing with their aggression. And it leads to them playing smaller than they are. And then you'll see the exact opposite. You'll see a guy like Draymond Green or a guy like P.J. Tucker. You'll see a guy like uh, like Fred Van, Fred Van Vliet's an awesome example of this, a guy who's incredibly undersized and lacks almost everything that you would consider to be NBA tools for the position, but he's a great defensive player and a great offensive player in the NBA. It's a testament to the fact that he plays bigger than he actually is and his work ethic and everything that comes along with that. But the Lakers have a team full of guys that, in addition to being small, also play small. You know, like Malik Monk, he's 6'3", and he's very athletic, but he's thin and wiry, and he doesn't do great in high-contact situations. You know, Carmelo Anthony, because of his lack of foot speed, he's going to struggle against bigger athletes as well. Even though he has some size, he's going to struggle in a lot of those matchups because his lack of foot speed causes him to play small. They went with Wenyan Gabriel as an audible at one point in the game to try to get some size and athleticism on the court. He played really hard. He battled, but he's thin and wiry, and he's not a super physical player. So he's going to struggle in a lot of those settings. And so what you saw there was a combination of a massive physical match, uh, physical mismatch in conjunction with the Lakers team that has really shied away from the physical areas of the game all season long. It's been a huge problem for them. It's manifested in a ton of different ways. They've had rebounding issues all season. They've had defensive issues all season, even when they've had their bigger personnel on the floor. It's something we've all been critical of with Anthony Davis from time to time. He can float in and out of games and not play as big as he is. It's been an issue with the roster, and I'm not surprised at all that it manifested the way it did tonight with the Raptors. 
The other thing I wanted to talk about with the Raptors that I think is really interesting, and this is an issue that goes deeper because it has a lot to do with the problems that I have with advanced metrics and the way that the very, very smart statistical analysts that work in the league, the way that they try to portray data to us. Because what you saw tonight from the Raptors was one of the most impressive bits of defensive pressure that I have ever seen. But from the time the ball is thrown up in the air, they are in your jersey. There is nothing that is easy. No one is ever comfortable. And that's that's what I always talk about. There's a difference between being on a player and having your arm extended and playing a little bit of defense, but th- there's a difference between that and literally making that person uncomfortable. Getting into getting up underneath underneath them, making every single dribble, every single swing pass, even just bringing the ball up the floor becomes a royal pain in the ass. And when you set that tone from the opening tip, it makes everybody uncomfortable. It causes teams to not shoot well. It causes teams to have turnovers. It causes a dip in confidence. It's a huge part of what has made the Raptors so successful over the years. And it's a credit to them. You know, Laker fans all the time will say things like, oh, so-and-so's coming to town. He's going to shoot. He's going to shoot better than he has all season. Or like, you know, every star plays their best game against the Lakers. And that's not a coincidence. A lot of times fans have a way of convincing themselves that is related to luck. Like, oh, we got bad luck. Gary Trent Jr. shooting really well tonight. Or, oh, we got really bad luck. Kyle Lowry's going off again. Or whatever it might be. It's never that. It's not luck. The reason why players have good games has a lot to do with how comfortable they are. And if you come out with a lack of defensive pressure, if they bring up the ball, if they bring the ball up the floor with no ball pressure, if they throw swing passes with no resistance, if there's very little physicality, if there if you can run a if you can set a down screen or cut through the lane and there's nobody throwing a forearm shiver in your chest as you're coming through the lane, or if no one's really fighting through the screen, you just operate at a level of comfort and confidence in the game that leads to you having a big night. Those things are very much related to each other. And what Toronto did tonight is make the Lakers feel really uncomfortable from the start and exposed them as a team that had fundamentals, which is something I talked about last night. Because how do you handle that? When a team comes at you with a ton of size and athleticism and a ton of defensive pressure, the only way to counter that is to play incredibly fundamentally sound basketball. Every pass needs to involve a pass fake. Every cut needs to involve a V cut where you fake cutting the other direction. Every screen, you have to set your man up. Everything that you do on the floor has to be so fundamentally sound in order to counter what the super athletic, super high pressure team is doing. And the Lakers are not that team. They were obviously going to fold under that kind of pressure. It was a very predictable outcome. So obviously lots of frustration in Laker Nation right now, understandably. But I also want to look ahead a bit and get some insight from Sean Davis on what the Lakers might be able to do this upcoming offseason. The biggest offseason is the next one, right? Because you, you never know a signing, whether it be Luol Deng. <laughs> you know, we're finally getting rid of that one this season. But things can really can set your franchise forward and put you in a positive direction for the next five to ten years. Or, like, if they botch the Russell Westbrook trade or however they decide to offload him in the offseason, if they botch that, you're really setting your franchise back at least five years, probably. Maybe not five years, but, like, the good next three to five seasons, especially post-LeBron, you're really setting your franchise back. I don't understand why and the need 
to have to, oh, we have to go get a third star because regardless, the whole point of getting Russell Westbrook was for, okay, when LeBron's off the floor or this happens, or maybe just like help alleviate the pressure off LeBron, LeBron's going to have the ball in his hands anyway. So like trading for Russell Westbrook and offloading coups to do a KCP, Montrezl Harrell, letting Alex Caruso walk for cap reasons and money. None of that made sense. Thank you, Sean, and a big shout out to Jason as well. We're going to put all of the links to their channels and where you can get connected with them in the show notes as well. But that wraps up today's show. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with another LA fan. We'd love it if you gave us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to contribute or support the show, you can reach us at champcitypodcast at gmail.com. It's always a pleasure hanging out with you. We'll see you tomorrow.